welcome to Step Into Magic, your weekly online radio show on how to develop your psychic ability, deepen your spirituality, and find your own true purpose. Presented by acclaimed medical intuitive, Josephine Lang. This broadcast is a part of the Wisdom and Intuition Network. This is Anthony Taylor, your host, and on behalf of Josephine, I'll be taking your calls and questions. This week's topic is spiritual rebirth, coming and loving again, communing across the veil. For anyone new to our show, Josephine has been a clairvoyant healer for more than 25 years. During that time, she's helped thousands of people from around the world to heal from hard-to-diagnose and chronic health issues. She's also been a teacher and spiritual mentor for hundreds of people who treasure her insights, courage, and love. Thank you, Tony, and hello, everyone. It's Halloween, <laughs> that time of year, which is the end of the year, really, if you look at it in terms of the seasons and how things kind of slip into that dark time. The trees are starting to drop their leaves. The snow is about to come in most of the world. Of course, here on the central California coast, we have the blessings of California weather. It was, Gosh, it was very warm yesterday and today and lovely clear blue sky. But in most of the world, though, we are kind of turning into that time of the year where uh, everything is appearing as if it has died. And if we were to look at the cycle of a year in terms of a human's life, you know, we would be born in the early or the late winter and children in spring and, and reaching our maturity in summer and our, our having had our householder years at that time and then rounding the bend into our senior years around the fall equinox and now here at Halloween. Uh, Halloween, we are we are entering into that time that that what would be considered the dying time, where the old man would, or the old woman would be dropping their bodies, just like the annual plants wind up dropping their seeds and leave their, you know, the straw or what is left behind to become compost, and the trees become bare, and there is the illusion of death, and that. But it's nice to remember that that vast love of spirit, though, surrounds us at every moment of our lives and that we can get in touch with that spirit because it's the illusion of death. The seeds are under the ground. The trees do come back, and so do we. And so uh, tonight we'll be sort of exploring a little bit about that communing with our loved ones who were across the veil and between the, the barrier between life and death but before I go into that topic, this topic any further, I always like to begin our show with our spiritual agreement, which was a gift to me and to all of us from our friend and mentor, Jana Massey. And please join me, if you will, in this agreement. It goes like this. Together, we acknowledge that everything that we think, that we say, and that we do at this time will be of the highest good. And together, we ask for truth, the understanding of that truth, and the wisdom to use it in our lives. Can you all agree? I do. Thank you, Tony. And Josephine, thank you, everyone. Uh, we, we got a message just at the very end of the show last week, so there wasn't uh, time to, to read it out, and it was from Terry in Paso Robles, and it was about uh, self-love. And she wrote to say, I've been using the song, I Love Myself the Way I Am, as a positive affirmation. It's easier and more effective for me to sing to myself than speak. Love, Terry. 
Well, thank you so much, Terry, for writing that in. That's a really beautiful way for us to do our self-love, and I would love to hear you sing the song sometime. It sounds like it's a wonderful one. So thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Okay. And uh, we also received a message from uh, Rosa, who wrote, I enjoyed the show so much Thursday that I wanted to hear it again. It was wonderful, alive and inviting and insightful. (laughs) Thank you, Rosa. And uh, a Chaz from Washington said, I love listening to your show. I do it all the time. It's so uplifting. (laughs) Thank you, Chaz. Thank you so much, all of you. Your words are very uplifting for me, and I always love hearing from you. And I also enjoyed last week's show. It was really great. I enjoy all of these shows. They really help me to feel more alive, too, and that's why I do them. You know, it's it's uplifting for all of us. So a big, big thank you to everyone who makes this show possible. My husband, Frank, and all of his beautiful slides, and, and you, Tony, for all of your wonderful contributions, and to all of you, our listeners. You know, we really appreciate you lending us your precious time and your energy and all of your goodwill. We couldn't do it without you, so thank you, too, very, very much. So as I mentioned, we're coming now, rounding the wheel of the year into the dying time where the seed has dropped and the frost is starting to come in much of the world and and the snow is uh, also falling on the ground. Of course, like I said, not in California or around the equator, but for much of the world it that we are experiencing that time in the um, northern hemisphere where we're coming into the the time of winter. Now, of course, if we are down in the southern hemisphere, you guys are all just coming into uh, the, you're in the spring and coming into summer, so it's a little <laughs> different. But but uh, for the northern hemisphere, we're just going to talk about this time of year, this dying time, this Halloween time that that we are upon. And one of the ways that I like to explain this time of year is with that beautiful myth from, it's a Greek myth, it's the Persephone and Demeter myth. And Demeter is the mother, and Persephone is her maiden, her little daughter. And Demeter is the goddess of plenty and abundance, and she has created the harvest and has all of the wonderful foods available for people and for animals throughout the world. And one day she and Persephone were out enjoying the beauties of nature and walking among the fields of grain. And there were beautiful daisies growing alongside one of the fields. And Persephone had wandered off there to go ahead and pick some daisies. She was making a little daisy chain. And all of a sudden, Hades, who was the king of the underworld, the king of the underground, had been observing her and there she was with Demeter in the perpetual summer and harvest time. And he wanted a wife, and he thought Persephone looked like the perfect wife for him, so he abducted her while Demeter wasn't watching and took her down into the underworld against her will. And Demeter knew that something had happened that was terrible, and she became bereft with grief for the loss of her daughter, And because of that, because she was the goddess who created the abundance in the world, she plunged the world into cold and into darkness. And the people were starving. And even the gods in Olympus were very upset because they loved the offerings that the people had brought them so regularly of food and grapes and wine and beautiful things to eat and enjoy from the bounties of the earth. And so the people were imploring Demeter to return to her normal state of productivity and of life 
and you know bring that back to the world but Demeter just couldn't do it her grief rendered her absolutely unable and so she went wandering and and she came upon the crossroads and there she met the goddess Hecate who stands with her arms crossed and she can point the direction and Hecate is uh, a, an amazing goddess she's she's one of those ones that knows everything and she said that Demeter should go to Helios the god of the sun because she knew that Helios saw everything and so Demeter did she went to Helios and Helios had indeed indeed seen the abduction which was sanctioned by Zeus and Zeus told Demeter to accept what had happened when Demeter went to him and said Zeus how could you have this happen he said you have to accept it and he said that Hades was actually a very worthy son-in-law he was a god after all but Demeter refused his advice and withdrew from Olympus and disguised herself and went wandering as an old woman around the country and she um, wandered in this disguise until she one day she reached Eleusius which later you may recall was the site of the Eleusian mystery schools and a lot of those mysteries they think had to do with this Demeter and Persephone myth and there she sat down on the edge of a well a well with water down in it and at that point a lesser goddess named Balbo came up disguised as a washerwoman and Balbo lifted her skirt and did a funny little dance which made Demeter laugh and in her laughter she leaned over the edge of the well and she looked down and there down deep in the underworld she saw Persephone and she realized what had happened that Persephone had been abducted by Hades and she went to Zeus and she implored Zeus for her return and the gods like I mentioned had wanted all of those offerings of food from the people and they were really upset because they hadn't been receiving them so Zeus conceded and Persephone was allowed to return however during her long stay of those many months down in the underworld she was tempted into consuming four pomegranate seeds and because of this she had to return to the underworld for four months every year, during which time Demeter, missing her daughter again, would cast the world into the winter months, months once more. And so here in the northern hemisphere, that's November through February, basically. And, uh, well, I guess it's the same months in the southern hemisphere as well, but that's when we have our winter time. And so it's because of, you know, when you are in the underworld or in the fairy kingdom, if you eat anything, they can hold you there. So... <laughs> ever find yourself in the fairy world take partake not from that potluck mm. <laughs> oh i really love that myth josephine that's really really nice and i like the the thought of um hades as being the um the abode of the dead yeah and uh, for what i can remember you get there by crossing the river Styx. Yeah. And there's a boatman called charon and uh, i think that uh people with with the dead they used to place a coin in their mouth on, on the tongue so that Charon would be paid for the, the journey uh, to the underworld. And what I like about it so much, this particular myth, is the idea that you can come back, you know, just like Persephone. There's, yeah. a, there's a resurrection. Yeah. And uh, I believe that Orpheus, Dionysus, Psyche, a whole load of different um, Greek figures went to the underworld and then they came back. 
Yeah, and it was supposed to be not such a very bad place. Yeah, yeah just just the place where you go, rather than yeah. you know the idea of of hell and eternal torment. Yeah, just the place you go when when you've died, or when you need a rest, even. Or when you need a rest, mm-hmm. and uh, the same myth, uh, you know, of resurrection. I believe it occurs in every single ancient European religious tradition. Yeah. There's always a death, and there's always a rebirth. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, this might be a good time to tell you that on the theme of um, Halloween that we've just received um, a message from an anonymous listener. Oh, how very nice. Nice. And it begins like this. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Boo! I'm scared! <laughs> and it says, oh, on the subject of um, what came up before, please, Josephine, sing something for us today. <laughs> love you and Tony. And love, love, love your show. Well, that's very great because it just so happens that I was thinking of singing a little song. Well, that's <laughs> it was. And in fact, it's just in a little bit I was going to sing a little song, so that's wonderful. So, you know, lots of people have believed lots of different things over the course of the hundreds of thousands of years that we've been here on Earth. Um, and so, you know, the Greek myth is one myth and there are, you know, so many, as many myths uh, probably as many myths of there, as there have been people over the course of the centuries and, and millennia. And, you know, I guess our Earth was first formed something like four billion years ago. Uh, Frank and I just saw a program not too long ago was showing how this man named Patterson actually was able to figure out the age of the Earth by the quantity of lead in particles of uh, of materials from the, from the Earth. I think it was lead and iron. And so... And we human beings have only been on the earth for the last little blink of an eye of that time. Four billion years is a tremendous amount of time. And we've been here for, in this very same body that we are in right now, The I believe the Leakeys, the great archaeologists, discovered by some footsteps, some footprints that had turned to stone that were first made into the soft silt of a, of a damp little riverway, little uh, quiet little eddy of water, that we've been in these exact same bodies with these same heads, same craniums, the same basic structure for something like 350,000 years. And, of course, there are humanoids that are much older than that, but in in these bodies for something like 350,000 years, which is a long, long time. And I personally believe that people have been, you know, beautiful and inventive and creative the whole time. I mean, even when you just hear something like the poetry of Rumi from 12... The 12th century, or, or going back to one of my favorite poets, Sappho, back around the time of the ancient Greeks, there have been such incredible pieces of art and, and works of beauty that I, I think that we've always been incredible. And so when we think of this long, long time and all of this potential for myth and for ways of believing and looking at the world and get, framing the world and bringing it into some sort of order in our minds, that sort of puts, for me anyway, it puts contemporary religions into a little bit of perspective. I mean, I think that, you know, Hinduism has been around for something like 6,000 years. Doesn't that sound about right, Tony? It does to me, yeah. Yeah, and the Abrahamic religions, uh, something around 4,000 years. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and Buddhism a little newer than that, maybe 2,500, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so when you think about 350,000 years, that's a way long period of time. And this is not a criticism of any sort of modern religion. All thoughts and beliefs are beautiful, and they can all serve us. 
But this is it's just an observation, and it's a good idea to make observations to sort of see how, you know, just kind of put things in perspective. And so for myself, I have been enjoying the women's spirituality movement. Some of you have heard me talk about that on the radio show. And in that particular movement, uh, we welcome women of any religious tradition. And there we are. What we're focusing on there is reclaiming the feminine divine because that is absent in so many of our contemporary religions to really honor the divine feminine as well. And so now that brings us to our song and our slide. So if you'd put that slide on for me, Tony, that'd be great. Certainly. And so this is a little song that talks to that idea of the wheel of the year and the dropping of the seed and the returning that we go through. And it goes like this. We all come from the goddess, and to her we shall return like a drop of rain, flowing to the ocean, hoof and horn, hoof and horn. All who die shall be reborn, corn and grain, corn and grain. All who fall shall rise again. And it repeats, and it's a lovely, lovely song, and we often sing that this time of year in our women's spirituality circles. And it just reminds us of the coming and the going, because we don't want to fear death. We want to really realize that it's perfectly natural. It's just as natural as having been born. Oh, that was really beautiful, Josephine. Thank you so Thank much. You. And, um, <laughs> sure. I'm everyone really enjoyed that. <laughs> I hope so, too. And yeah, talking about those ancient religions, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, we've got the Persephone uh, figure there, but in some of the other ones, it's sometimes it's a male figure, and you know, and sometimes it's a, fe- a female figure that dies and, and is reborn. Yeah. But it's always the goddess who brings them back to life. Well, you know, I think... <laughs> It's women or females of almost all species who bring us life. I mean, there's the few rare exceptions, like the seahorse who takes the egg and matures it in his pouch. Um, but so since it's the females that largely do the bringing of life into the world, it only makes sense that it would often be traditionally that, that women would as well attend to death. And, um, you know, I think of the native, the First Nations peoples here of this area where I am, which were the Shumash, and there are photographs from the turn of the last century, early photographs that show the women carrying baskets where they're beating the seeds from the grasses and from the grains. And they use one basket to beat the end of the plant that is dying and has set seed. And the other hand holds a basket that collects the seed, a cone-shaped basket that would fit easily on their back for, for carrying back to the the, the village area after they had filled them with seeds. And they'd go out to these large areas of chia seed or whatever it was, and they would just, you know, s- sort of slap at the plants and collect the seeds. And they were also, at the same time, not only were they reaping the harvest I- into their gathering baskets, but they were also spreading the seed all around because not all the seeds went into the baskets. Many of them went all around to be reborn. And that's what plants love, especially annual plants. They love for their seeds to be distributed. And so it's a really nice communal experience, that you know, good for both of them that happened with that gathering. And so, yeah, here we are. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, and here we are in California. And it does make me think a little bit, knowing that it's Halloween of England and all the very many times I spent there, because... You, I think you're more aware there of the the, the change in the season. Yeah. Um, by this time of year, you know, winter is is starting to appear. Uh, to appear. All the flowers are, are dying. The trees are becoming empty, and you don't really get 
such a strong sense of that here in California. Plus, it starts to get dark a lot earlier, <laughs> and, uh, and by the time you know we get to the the uh, the midwinter solstice, it's kind of like dark by 4:30 in the afternoon. Whereas here, we get we get it to what till six o'clock. Yeah, it's still light now. But yeah. next week, I guess, is the time change, or this weekend. So we'll have a little darker time for our radio show. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then speaking of spiritual rebirth, because that's what this is about, that coming again and again. You know, last week's show was on oneness and on connecting, and that's a part of what happens when we we really realize that, when we unite with the larger aspect of our human experience. And I love that quote, which perhaps you can show that slide, Tony, if you would. Certainly. This is by Swami Ramatirtha, and he was among one of the first notable teachers of Hinduism to lecture in the United States. and I think he was traveling here sometime around 1902 or something. And I love this little quote. He says, I am without form, without limit. I am beyond space. I am beyond space, beyond time. I am in everything. Everything is in me. Everywhere I am. I'll read that once again. I am without form without limit. I am beyond space, beyond time. I am in everything. Everything is in me. Everywhere I am. And that illusion of death, you know, it really reveals itself to just be an illusion. You know, in nature we have that spring coming back with the rebirth and the whole idea of reincarnation. And like I was mentioning earlier, death is right and good. It is a part of everyone's life. It happens to all of us. And we need to realize that it's natural and to just let go. You know, one of my, <laughs> kind of, it was a sad experience in my young years. I think I was around 17 or 18 when my older grandfather, he was in his 90s. Amazing long life, especially for somebody who had had TB in his youth, you know. And he said, well, you know, one sunny afternoon we were just sort of sitting. I forget what I was doing, helping with the garden or something. He said, you know, it comes a time when it's right and good to move on and and I said, oh, Grandpa, don't talk like that. And he said, no, no, it's a good thing. It's only right. You have to make room for the new ones coming in. Wow, that's such a positive sentiment, isn't it? I mean, so many people are just clinging on to life. But when you hear that, you know, Swami Rama, Tirtha, Tirtha, yeah. um, the way he's talking there, it's kind of like, it sounds like roomy, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and uh, you get a feeling there's not that attachment to the body. And yeah. without that, maybe it's so much easier to let go. I think so. Mm. Yeah, and I've heard that there's only two causes of death. And the first is that we've gotten so far off track that we need to recycle and start again. <laughs> Whoopsie. And the second is that we've done our work, and it's time for us to move on to a nice rest and spirit. And then, you know, a new assignment in a new lifetime. And, you know, that can happen, you know, even like with as sad as it is, the death of a child, there is some sort of a growth that is there in that lifetime for everyone concerned. There's some sort of a soul growth, as difficult as it may be. So there, uh, but, you know, we come again, we come to a new lifetime, and there are thousands of well-documented cases of little children who could remember and vividly describe their most recent past lives, and my dad was one of them. He was one of those children who exhibited xenoglossy, which is that ability to speak in another language that you're not familiar with or have had no exposure to, and this happens in children who are very young when they're first starting to speak, 
And he spoke a little bit of Hindi. He spoke about the Blue Mountains, and there's a Blue Mountain Range in India. And he spoke about his blue, his blue friend from the Blue Mountains, which, you know, there's the Indian deity of Krishna who is blue. And he named his first name for cat after the Hindi word for kitty cat. And my grandmother just happened to have had a little bit of exposure to the language, and she recognized these things. And she asked him about any memories that he might have had. And, and he described a, a scene where he and his family, he was a young boy in that lifetime, were crushed under the falling timbers of a home during an earthquake, and that they all passed during that lifetime. And we're going to go into this topic of reincarnation quite a bit more in November, um, but I just wanted to share that little bit with you, and, and maybe you could show us our next slide, Tony, if you would. Certainly. And this slide says, it's a long life, and we have plenty of them, so there's lots of time to grow our souls. Wow, what a thought that is. <laughs> Doesn't it just change everything if you do or don't believe that there's life after death? Yeah, it really does. I mean, not only for yourself, but how you feel about your loved ones, too. Yeah, mm. yeah, so true. So here we are, rounding the bend from autumn, which is the equivalent of old age in the course of a human life, and then at Halloween, into that illusion of death, where the veil is very thin, and they sort of say that in, the, in terms of how, you know, you can kind of reach across the veil when it's thin like that to access those who are on the other side. And Frank and I have been going to a dear friend of ours home for, oh gosh, at least the last 25 years to celebrate Halloween every year. And we do it with a fire and we have a wonderful ritual where we bring gifts for our deceased loved ones who are on the other side and we place them into the fire and maybe you know, for those individuals who are on the other side. So I sometimes bring a little fresh barley hay for Duchess, or I might bring a poem or a painting for my mother. I'll often take the drippings from a beeswax candle while they're soft and coming down the side of the candle and gently pull them off and, and form them into little wax hearts. And then I'll put those into the fire, and they burn very well. And it's just really a nice thing to do to just take that time to, to really honor those who are on the other side. And, you know, I loved that, speaking of that, you know, ongoing nature of spirit, I loved that article that you brought around the other day, Tony, about the researchers in Germany who found that the volunteer subjects who had experienced a chemically induced death from which they were brought back reported the presence of their consciousness living on for the full 20 minutes of the experience, behind, long beyond the time when they would be considered brain dead. Do you remember that article? I do. In fact, it's... Um, it's right next to me oh good <laughs> if anyone's interested in uh, finding out more about this it was in the world news daily report and the research was conducted at the university of berlin and they had almost a thousand uh, volunteers and there were a, a wide mixture of christians jews muslims hindus atheists and every single person reported at least one memory during the time that they were clinically dead and uh, extraordinary. Many of them remembered incredibly similar things, like feelings of security, comfort, and this feeling of levitation going up, oh, yeah. and then seeing a bright light. And uh, it was amazing. And uh, I know that this is not the first research that has been done, and uh, other researchers have found people who could remember when they were uh, brain dead, so there was no activity going on in the brain, conversations that were happening around them which they could recount when they um, came back to life exactly or what people were doing 
um, and sometimes going on for, for even longer periods of time. It's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, isn't it, though? Yeah, I, uh, there was a, a, a time when I was communing with my horse, Duchess, and I asked her about, you know, how how many lifetimes have we had together? And it was just hundreds of them. And, and you know, with animals, they don't seem to get quite so attached. It's more like the change, changing from one chapter to another chapter in a book rather than closing the whole book is sort of more the way I think we humans look at it. And, you know, some of you who have listened to my show regularly have heard me speak of, and, of course, it's been on the news and in the Internet and on emails about Eben Alexander and Anita Morjani and Melon Thomas and, and all of them have had, those three have had really profound near-death experiences. And, and a new friend of mine, Gracie Hatmaker, had, had one as well. And she actually made the cover of Life magazine and, it, back in, uh, some decades ago with her experience. And, you know, that, that's one of the beauties of the Internet is that more and more of this kind of information crosses our desks all the time so that we can begin to see that there is really good concrete evidence of, of life after death. You know, I think that my father, with his experience, you know, out on the uh, desert in Phoenix there, kind of an isolated case, you know, not too many people probably found out about that. But now we can find out more and more about these things. It's really great. Yeah, it's amazing. We've just received a message from Carl oh. from Geelong in Australia. Great. Carl called in um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. Yeah. And he writes as follows. Hi, Josephine and Tony. Thank you so much for the prayer circle last week. It oh. stepped me out of panic mode and into a calm, loving, compassionate space. Oh, good. I have good news to report about the mole lesion on my back. The tests came back negative for cancer, much to my great relief. The anxieties I experienced <laughs> over the affair really took me for an emotional loop. And I realize now I'd have a lot of inner work to do to rid myself of such paralyzing fear. Yeah. Your show is a step in the right direction. Oh, great. With much Antipodean love, Carl. Oh, wonderful news, Carl. Thank you for writing in about that. That is great. <laughs> it is really good. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's more than, than just us now kind of realizing. I mean, there have been people on the earth for a long, long time in ancient you know, cultures that we have existing now and to this day that uh, have understood about the presence of spirit. The African culture acknowledges very deeply the presence of spirit in their lives in the, in the throughout the many various groups in Africa. And then also, too, there's the Chinese ancestor worship. And I understand that in the ancient Chinese homes they used to have very high thresholds to keep the miscellaneous ghosts out because the ghosts wouldn't step up over a threshold, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. And then, of course, we in Mexico we have the Day of the Dead, which is just now coming up tomorrow. I think it's star- no, it's uh, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, in India, of course, a long understanding about reincarnation and the return and and the presence of spirit beyond the body. And perhaps you can show that slide for us there, Tony, about yep. the devotees of the Guru. So this is a story that Ram Das tells also about how there was the, uh, the Guru Mahara Maharishi. He said, you know, he, his devotees were saying, don't leave us, don't leave us. And, and Mahara said, don't be silly, where would I go? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a great thing to, way to look at it, you know. It's like, where would we go? And actually we go everywhere and we're here all at the same time, I think. It, 
and it's just our Western mind and our culture here that we, that really kind of helps prevent us to kind of prevents us from seeing this aspect of of our reality. Um, I think it was Descartes who said that things must be provable and repeatable. And um, you know, these kinds of experiences, the experiences like um, what every unique individual would have had in that study in Germany that you were describing earlier, those aren't really repeatable. They, I mean, you can see the similarities, but you can't really prove so much that those. I mean, you know, they're they're we're taking those people on their word for what they said, but you can't really prove it. So I think that kind of has prevented us from really embracing this. And in our culture, you know, anything that doesn't quite fit into the box of our standard thought is called an anomaly. And I love that word, anomaly. And what we do with our anomalies is we just sort of set them aside. Oh, well, that doesn't quite fit in the mold, and so we don't really look at it. But I think I'm very heartened by the statistics of late, which is that the percentage of widows who admit to regularly communicating with their deceased husbands has been steadily rising since the 1960s. And I think it's up to about 30%. And these are just the ones who will admit to communicating with their deceased husbands. There's probably quite a significant amount more who don't actually want to say, well, yes, I do. So that says to me that that there's a lot of us who are really coming to understand this and realizing this this ability for spirit to be present all around us and to continue expressing love and sharing love with us. And one of my very, very favorite books, and I've mentioned this before, is was written by my dear friend Lee Lawson. In fact, I met her through the her her book. I just found out she was living in our area and I just called her up and it's called Visitations from the Afterlife. And in England, it has a little different uh, title. I think it's called Love Letters from the Universe. And it's a beautiful book. It's a collection of stories of uh, all that people have shared, you know, kind of quietly whispering about how spirit has made that connection in some way or another. Their deceased loved ones have, you know, reached across the veil and touched our hearts in one way or another. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. So with that, I'd like to just lead us right into a little exercise. And this one, what I want us to do is to think about someone whom you've admired. And let it be somebody that you've never met, but somebody from our history, you know, that that you've really liked. And just imagine what what they looked like. So what we're going to do is we're going to just settle in and Get comfortable and, you know, put our feet flat on the ground and take a couple of relaxed and easy breaths. And then uh, you can, if you'd like, you can close your eyes. And, of course, you're going to want to save this exercise for later if you're in a car or operating any machinery. And then you're just going to think about um, about this person that you've, that you've remembered. And just imagine what they, what they looked like. And... Go ahead and and let yourself imagine what they might have said or what they might have done during their lifetime, some of the things that they might have found themselves doing. And then just take a moment to pretend that you can hear something that they might want to say to you. And just let them say something that might be pertinent to you right now. And trust the first thing that comes to you.
And then make a little mental note. And remember what they said. And then go ahead and allow yourself to return to your normal waking consciousness. And just begin to stretch a little bit, move your body. And open your eyes and take a couple of relaxed and easy breaths. And you know, our communion with our deceased loved ones can be just as simple as this. And it's best if it's kind of no big deal like that, like what we just did. And just let your imagination take you there and just trust yourself. And I usually like to start off with communications of this nature with somebody that I've admired because I don't have the same emotional attachment to them as I would to somebody who I loved and who I've grieved the loss of. And so we can kind of get practiced and get sort of good at it with working in this way And it sort of lets us slip in the back door. And if you didn't quite get a message this time, because the time is sort of short on the radio and we can't really have too long of pauses, just go ahead and enjoy this exercise later and just let yourself have a little time to really soak into it and settle in and just see what they might say to you and take it from there. How was that for you, Tony? Yeah, it was really good. Good. Did you have a little communication? I did. Oh, nice. And uh, I chose uh, Goethe. Do you remember when he oh, yes. come up before? I don't really have yeah. much of a sense of, of what he might look like or anything. That's all right. Too long ago. But I did get a message, and oh. the message was, never lose sight of your dreams. Ooh, that's beautiful. And I wasn't really sure whether it meant, you know, the dreams I have at night or my, you know, my aspirations. But either way, or both ways, right. I'm sure it's really useful for me now. Yeah, and I had a nice little message, too. I had an image of Sakajawea, you know, that amazing First Nations woman who guided Lewis and Clark and some of those early explorers across the nation. And she was a remarkable woman. I mean, she had a little baby with her the whole time, and she just carried on and was strong and contributed. And and what she said to me was, be strong. And, you know, we can kind of help ourselves to... To, to rise up when we hear words like that, it can, you know, there's. I'm sure that for most people, most everybody that I've been speaking with lately, that have been having going through some kind of difficult times. It can be a little challenging at times in our lives, and I'm no exception. And and so to hear those words, you know, be strong, was nice. It was like mm. rise above. It was like don't let the little things bother you. Mm-hmm. Hold to your truth, kind of like you, you know, stay inside of your dreams and be strong. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Very nice. Uh, Josephine, we received um, a message from Jenny. Oh. And she writes, Hi, how appropriate. A show about unending love. Mm-hmm. That is what I send you back, unending love. Oh. And an unending gratitude for you and your show, which has changed my life forever. I am here with an open heart to you, Josephine. Love, Jenny. Oh, Jenny, thank you so much, honey. And my heart is open to you, too. That's really great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the mystery is vast, you know, but we do come and we love again. And I wanted to share a little story with you that that happened when Frank and I went traveling in New Zealand after my father passed away. We we took 
the you know we are not much for traveling, but we decided to go on a long trip. We'd always wanted to go to New Zealand, and so we did. We went, and we'd just arrived in Wellington, uh, and we'd gotten uh, from the ferry, and we went ahead, and we hadn't rented a car, but there was a, a taxi van that came along with, and we thought, well, why don't we just jump in this taxi van? And so we put our bags in there with everybody else's bags, and then the driver set off to all of our respective destinations, and. While we were traveling in New Zealand, we really were enjoying availing ourselves of the um, the farm stays and the home stays. And so there was an older woman named Sylvia who was in Wellington, and she uh, we called her up and and she, you know she said that she was looking for a little way to make a little more income, and we were to be her first guests. But she so she thought she'd give a try to opening up her home to visitors. And so when we arrived there. Frank hopped out and he went to the door and the cabbie and I were in the back of the van. We were busy sort of rearranging and unloading the bags from his trailer, you know, onto the sidewalk. And then Frank would come out periodically and grab a bag that I had set because there was other people, you know, and there were other tri- other bags. They were in the front part and we were in, actually it was like a little trailer in the back that had all the bags in it. And so I was in and out of the trailer and I'd carry a bag out and set it on the sidewalk and and periodically it would be either Frank there, you know, to pick up a bag, and there was also this um, alternating with Frank was this stately elder gentleman. And um, the two of them, it seemed to me, as far as I could tell, you know, he was sort of smiling. He saw that I was busy, and he murmured a few, you know, words in my direction as he gathered up our things. And I looked forward to, you know, being properly introduced to him at the door once we were all ready to go in. And so when I got there, I was very cordially greeted by Sylvia, and then she showed us to our room, which was downstairs near the front door, her spare room. And Frank went up to see the rest of the house as I sort of, you know, excused myself to just briefly freshen up. And before I made ready to leave the room and go up, Frank came back down and he said, you know, that the place was very nice and that Sylvia loved tennis and that she was right in the middle of watching a game. And I asked, you know, Frank, how, you know, how her husband was and if he enjoyed meeting him. And Frank said, no, Sylvia had just shared with with Frank that her husband was dead and that he and their two teenage children had died in a car crash late one night the previous year. And I said, well, who who was that older gentleman then? And Frank said, what man? You know, and I said, well, the, 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 the guy who was helping to collect our bags. And Frank said, I didn't see anyone. And and uh, And then Frank went on to say that he had that Sylvia had shown him a photograph of her family and it was up in the kitchen. And so I thought, oh, my gosh. So, so I went up there and there was that older gentleman that I had seen on the curb and he was smiling at me with Sylvia and their two children by his side. And, you know, I suddenly knew that being as we were her first guests, in-home guests, that he had come to make sure that all was well before she embarked on this new venture and that Frank and I had apparently passed his purview and were welcomed by him into their home and I just thought that was such a sweet sweet experience it was really a wonderful moment mm. I really loved it that's a beautiful story isn't that great it is Josephine we do have a caller on the line oh how lovely good time yes of course this is a great time welcome hello Tony. This is Amalia oh. again. Hi, Josephine. Hi, Amalia. Thanks for calling oh, in. Always so lovely to hear your voice. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I managed to to listen to your show. It's so beautiful and talking ancient ancient cultures. 
I said, oh, I bet it. I hope I can make it with my call. <laughs> yes, and yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a commenting again, like last week we were talking about, you know, unity community and all that. And uh, yeah. the Dia de los Muertos, you know, the day of the dead, yeah. is tomorrow. And um, in South America, at least in Peru, it it is first, you know, the Dia de los Muertos. Um, yeah. That starts midnight and finish midnight at uh, midday the the next oh. day. Oh. So uh, and then it is Dia de los Vivos, the soul day, all the living people. It's the next oh. day. So it is a celebration for both. But basically, what people do is the weeks before they go to the cemetery to do a cleaning to plant new new bushes and just to clean and prepare the food. Uh, because you you have to arrange a special table with things like your grandma, your grandpa, you know, uncles, whoever was deceased in the last, let's say, 20 years or something like that. You know, it, it, things are changing all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, you know, you want to get the best pear, you want to get the, the best uh, whatever, you know, coffee, yeah. whatever the deceased like, because they're coming back. This is the idea of the community. You know, you are not only in a, you are not only living in harmony with your neighbors, the humans, but with you know every living thing. But also, you include the ones that they they departure before us. This oh, is when yeah. they come back. So you form a community with all of them, and it's not as party that it may look like. You know, it's not sad. It is like when you get to talk to them. And oh. because they don't want us to sad, you don't, you're not sad, so it's a celebration of dancing and eating food and, uh, you know, talking to them. And many people, they will prefer to go and visit the, the cemetery. So you have cousins, uncles, and so it's a big family. They You know, you just sit next to grandpa or grandma, and you remember things they did, and people laugh there. You know, they oh, just, that's great. You know, tell jokes and... Or sometimes, you know, if you're the daughter and, you know, you're, oh, you remember, like, sometimes you were so mean. You know, you just talk everything. And I think oh. it's just a time to let it go and let them know. But basically, it's like you're including them in the community because they are guarding us from the other side. Uh-huh. And also in Peru, it, it, it is the understanding of reincarnation, not with that word, but mostly as um, like seven generations before you are in line behind you. Basically, they're, like, behind you, pushing you, and uh, it can be good and bad because, like, if your grand-grandparents, they have something in mind and you're not doing it, but they're still behind you. I don't think this is is a little more complex, but um, it's also time to tell your your grandma or your grandpa, I love you very, very much, but you were you, and you you did your thing. I'm not into that. You know, like, let's say your grandpa was a hunter, and you don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, my grandpa, you were a good hunter, good for you. But I, I, you know, I I am not. I'm into yoga, whatever. You know, and uh, <laughs> you make peace. You make peace. Oh, that. that's so great. And you talk to them as I was talking to you. You know. Oh, and, wonderful. Uh, of course, these dates were chosen because what they observe in these guys. You know, which constellation was crossing which. It, it was a big deal. You know. They were observers. Yeah. They were an agricultural society. 
so they knew when to do, even though down there, as you had mentioned, it is uh, spring, yeah. uh, but they know the sky, and they know they determine when the, you know, bale is seen, when they Garden that oh, well, I go before to. You, before you go, um, oh, start yes. with that, uh, Josephine, just a message because oh, yes. it's about the exercise. That oh, yes, did. yes, yes. And this is from Anna, and she says, I held the image of John, John Kennedy oh. and got a clear message. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Great. It's very good, isn't it? Yes. Oh, beautiful. Oh, thank you for calling in, Anna. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, we get encouragement, you know. Those who have given us life, you know, they've come before us. If we wouldn't be here without them. And and they also can still reach forward and give us encouragement. Or like Amalia was saying, they can say, come on, we've got the energy behind you. We're helping you to push ahead. And you can say, well, push me this direction. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like Amalia was saying, this is a time when you can talk to your loved ones. And I myself go ahead and, and do that talking really any time. I mean, yes, it is true that when the veil between the worlds is the thinnest, it makes it easiest or easier for us to talk, which is this time of year right now. But if ever I have need to chat with my mom or with any of my other loved ones, I will will just go step outside and do so. I usually like to do it outdoors because I feel such a connection with everything when I'm outside in nature. But uh, for my mom especially, there's a pink rose that's in my garden. And a lot of times when it's blooming, I'll think, oh, she's kind of reaching out to me, and I'll reach back and, and we'll connect that way. And, you know, almost all of us have had some sort of connection at one time or another with someone that we've loved who's made their transition in spirit. And if we haven't had one directly ourselves, we usually know someone who whom we love and trust who has had that kind of experience. So a good idea for us to go ahead and free ourselves and it also really lightens our grief and lessens the experience and the finality of death which makes us all so sad so it's a it's a lovely thing to do there's a little homework assignment that i'd like for us to do and uh, tony perhaps you can show the slide that goes with this certainly this is the main three precepts of the huna code and some of you who are regular listeners have heard me mention this before, but I think it's such a great, wise idea for us to keep in mind. In fact, one of my uh, dear family members, actually, I, uh, she has this posted right by their door that they come and go from, from their house. And it's just a nice, gentle reminder, and I think that's such a good idea. And it says, trust yourself, expect the best, and bless the present. You know, we have all of the power... Uh, in our lives is right in the present moment and we can expect the best we can hold that as our intention and see ourselves rising to it and whatever we do hold in our thoughts and in our beliefs we do rise to it our our reality does change around that and then to trust ourselves is so important to just really know that we are trustworthy and that we can just move ahead into these kinds of experiences just like Anna's beautiful message or yours, Tony. We just had time for these quick little ones like never lose sight of your dreams, you know. But <clears throat> there they are. They're wonderful messages for us in mind. Be strong. So it's great. 
And so for this little homework assignment, what I'd love to, for you to do, and, oh, and the Huna, that is the spiritual tradition from Polynesia, and one of them, I guess, are a part of it. And uh, so what I would like to ask for this homework assignment is if you feel inclined, you know, tonight, tomorrow, the next night, the next day, to just either do something like what Amalia was mentioning and just celebrate those who have come and gone and just speak to them as if they are there, pull up a chair next to Grandpa or whatever you want to do, or else if you'd like to go for a deeper communion, communion or to reach a deeper, more in-depth inspiration from a mentor or from someone who's lived before you who has inspired you, then go with intention for that loving guidance from the, that higher self-connection. You know, that's what happens when we are in spirit, really, is we can ask for and move to that higher self-perspective for both of us, those who are asking and those who are giving, and use that as our intention to connect with their God self. And this is where we really learn, is when we're working with that higher self aspect. And so, you know, use your intention for loving guidance from that 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 higher part of ourselves and then use your willingness and your sincerity i think that that is is so important having our sincerity is i think one of those underrated emotions in our culture but it's a really beautiful one and one we should think about more often if we can and then just that like i said open to willingness and then you know allow yourself to just just receive and um you know, it's like I said, it's easier with someone whom we admire and it's a little more difficult with someone whom we're grieving. But if you have some unresolved business and you need to jump in there with someone you're grieving, feel free and just let that intention of connecting with their higher self be the part that, that really guides you. Another way that we can do this is let's say we had a grandparent that we barely knew but we know loved us really well. We can connect with them. And that's a little easier, sort of a mid-step instead of, as opposed to someone who we're really missing um, so kind of get 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 into the water slowly. Start in the shallow end, and then work your way into the deep end if you like. And uh, I like to use these uh, folks though that I've admired, like I mentioned, Sakajawea or Sojourner Truth. You know, those they are they can, they can be really wonderful guides for us in our lives. And it can even be someone who's new to you, or even more than one person, or not even a person at all. As Amalia was saying, you know, we want to realize that this idea of a community includes not only our family and our neighbors, but every living thing, and that can include the dead as well. They can be a part of our community. So so for this homework assignment, just give yourself permission to be able to commune and and open your heart and, and just let it flow. Just trust it. I like to remember that namaste, you know, that when I am in the place in me where I am love and you are in the place in you where you are love, then together we are love. And so that's the uh, the way that I like to go in. And then one last little tidbit on this is that I had this dear friend Cassandra who was an animal communicator, and I called her originally because my uh, darling horse Duchess, I wanted to know if she loved me. And, of course, she did, you know, but, you know, sometimes we just want to find out if everything is well. And as we were, as Cassandra was communing with Duchess and getting images from her mind, uh, she realized that there was something that was making Duchess very uncomfortable. And Duchess would kind of turn her head away a little bit. And she said, oh, this, you know, sometimes this kind of thing can be a lot like a therapy session and we get in really deep. And so she said, you know, let's just see if we can give her a little time here and see if she'd like to talk about it. And um, she said that 
that uh, I had been riding another horse. And Cassandra turned to me and she said, have you been riding another horse? And I said, well, yes, actually, I have. I've been, I'd been studying dressage lessons at the time. And she said, Josephine, don't you realize that that's like a, a husband coming home with another woman's lipstick on his collar? I said, well, no, actually, I didn't realize. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was actually very uh, sort of thrown off guard by that. And, I, and then I realized, oh, my gosh. And, and with that, of course, the whole situation lightened, and I decided not to ride other horses anymore. But... That started a nice, deep relationship with Cassandra and I, and both of us being working psychics, it was a wonder- we had a wonderful time together. And I think we were very good friends for a good many years. And then, as happens, you know, we all come and live our lives, and when our time is done, we pass away, and Cassandra did. And I missed her very much, but, you know, we, we moved through it. But I, as, right after she died, I thought, you know, you and I, if anybody could do this, because I was just sort of starting to explore in this realm, I thought, well, you and I could do this. And so I waited the 10 days that is supposed to be the time where you allow the person who has passed to kind of settle into their new experience. And then it's supposed to be a little easier to make that communication. And so at that point, I thought, okay, I'm going to settle in and I'm going to just take this afternoon and I'm going to just try to have a communication with Cassandra. And so I sat down, I meditated, I got ready, and I really put my little thinking cap on, and I really tried to open and to be open and to receive, and, and you know, nothing. And I thought, okay, well, let me try again. And so I really got at it and tried again and again, and, and you know, nothing. And so then after about a good 10 or 15 minutes of really trying to connect and really receive, I just thought, oh, you know, oh, well. Which I love that phrase, oh, well. <laughs> sort of like, oh, well, you know, nothing you can do about it. It's okay. And then I just sat there with kind of a neutral mind, nothing, no agenda, nothing going on. And all of a sudden, all of this information came flooding in with Cassandra's energy and her personality and her word choice. And it was so fun. And it began this little period of time that we spent together communing like that across the veil. And it was really an extraordinary experience. So I just wanted to share that with you tonight at this beautiful time of the year. So is the uh, is the moral of that story, don't try too hard? That is the moral of the story. Sometimes you want to not try too hard. You kind of want to slip in the back door and just ask a little question, see what pops into your head. First thing, take it, go with it, call it good. Oh, well, that applies to so many things in oh, life, doesn't, doesn't it? it? <laughs> yeah, I'll try and bear that one in mind. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're running out of time. Oh, dear, not again. Again. <laughs> So let me say that the link to next week's show can be found on Josephine's website at stepintomagic.com. Just click on the top menu for radio. And if you have a question for us or would like to be included in our weekly newsletter, simply go to the contact page. That's stepintomagic.com and send us your message. So, Josephine, are there any parting words that you'd like to say? Oh, yes, there are. (laughs) And thank you so much for that, Tony. I'd like to finish today with one last slide and thank you Frank so much for these beautiful slides and this one is a poem from Rumi and we only put the first two lines on the slide because it's a little long for a whole to fill in a whole slide but I'll just read it out right now and Rumi said behold the body born of dust how perfect it has become why should you fear its end when were you ever made less by dying When you pass beyond this human form, no doubt you will become an angel and soar through the heavens. But don't stop there. Even heavenly bodies grow old. Pass again from the heavenly realm and plunge into the ocean of consciousness. Let the drop of water that is you become a hundred mighty seas. 
But do not think that the drop alone becomes the ocean. The ocean, too, becomes the drop. Mm, Very nice. Yes. And in closing, I'd like to thank all of you so very much for giving me the gift of your time. And I'd like to finish with this little blessing. As our gifts are given in love, they are received in love. And we honor their wise use and their increase for all concerned. And so it is. Thank you so much for that, Josephine. Sure. As always, it's been a real pleasure talking with you on the radio, and I trust that everyone listening has learned lots about spiritual rebirth. This has been show number SG-5.14. And if you've enjoyed the show, we really hope that you will tell your friends. We look forward to having all of you join us again next week when Josephine will be talking about the afterlife, commencing with the beauty of death. Tony and I wish you all insight, wisdom, and magic as you pursue the journey of inner knowing. And I hold you all in light and in love. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. Happy Dio de los Muertos. And All Saints Day to each of you. This is Josephine Lang. Until next week, good night.
Thank mm-hmm. you. 